welcome to this BGSM podcast. My name is Stefan Griffin. I'm a junior doctor in London and a member of the BGSM editorial team. Today I'm joined by Dr. Joe Larkin and Dr. Wing Chu, both of whom are heavily involved in British tennis. Joe is a sport and exercise medicine consultant in London who has worked across a wide range of elite sports and is currently the lead doctor for British tennis. And Wing is a GP and SEM registrar working with Joe at the LTA. In the lead-up to Wimbledon this year, we thought we'd just catch up with them. So welcome to this podcast, both. And Joe, can you tell us a little bit about your career so far and how you've ended up working in tennis? Uh, yeah, okay. So I was really fortunate. I always knew I wanted to get into sports medicine. Um, and my dad was an ex-professional footballer, or was a professional footballer at the time, and I obviously was a bit um, intrigued by the magic sponge of the doctor that ran on the pitch. Um, so when I was a junior doctor, I did a distance learning MSc, and then through um, my peers organising training in the bid for London 2012, I was really fortunate to get on the, one of the training posts in London, and the rest is history, because really once you get onto that platform, lots of doors open for you. And so I got to gain a lot of experience in a wide range of different sports so that by the time I was a consultant, I could narrow down which area I wanted to work in. Um, On completion of my training, I went straight to Headley Court and was a lead for the spines department there for several years. And during that period of time, I was working in elite sport as well. Um, And then through various other kind of offers that came along, I was fortunate enough to get a full time post with England RFU on the basis that I was going to the GB, well, to be the GB sevens doctor for the Rio Olympics. Um, Following that stint, um, that's when I actually then stepped down from my role at the England RFU and got approached for this particular job. And I've now been in post for two and a bit years as the Chief Medical Officer, um, which is both a combined clinical and kind of clinical governance role. Um, so during this period at Grasscourt, it's quite busy from a clinical um, clinical demand, but actually throughout the rest of the year, there's a lot of clinical governance, setting policies, standards, but also supporting the network of Grasscourt doctors as well, which wouldn't be able to survive without them during this uh, period of time. So that's how I got here into tennis medicine. Sounds like a, a busy time of year for you. Uh, yes. <laughs> and Wim, tell us a bit about your background and how you come to work here. Sure. So my background is I'm a GP by training um, and I was always interested in musculoskeletal injuries and sport, but um, to be honest, I wasn't really aware about sports medicine as a speciality uh, back then and kind of fell into it through during GP training, uh, came into contact with a local rugby doctor at Blackheath. Uh, and started getting involved there and that kind of led me onto a journey I did a master's in sports medicine after that and then I took um, a couple of years before I applied for training so during that time I worked in Colchester in one of the military regional rehab units uh, for about a year and a half and did some other stuff on the side and then entered the training program I'm now currently halfway through uh, the program and fortunate enough to spend uh, one day a week here at the LTA with Joe, uh, and it's been a real eye opener. And in terms of what you see during the cl- during clinical days here, for the listeners who might not be familiar with the intricacies of tennis or tennis medicine, what's the bread and butter? What do you see on a daily basis? I mean, generally speaking, they're an overload type picture of an injury. So going from my rugby, whereby it was acute running on and off the pitch to make decisions, this is very much more about um, chronic loads. And generally speaking, there are a few traumatic injuries, 
albeit there are the odd ones. Um, it's a good distribution of upper and lower limb and back, so everyone always presumes it's the tennis elbow, tennis shoulder, but actually currently of our upper limb cohort, there's very few, and we've got much more lower limb issues going on, particularly around hip, pelvis, and lower back. Um, again, the other influencing part of tennis is where they are in their age and the development. So in our players that are younger, going through our national age group, they're clearly going through growth spurts. They're trying to adapt themselves to the training loads, plus also fitting it around a school. Um, so the recovery, as well as the demands of training, have a different type of impact on them. And so, again, although they're overused, some of them, you could arguably say, are also related to growth spurts, fatigue, etc. Um, but generally speaking, in my time here, there's been very few traumatic um, acute injuries. When you mentioned you've worked in rugby before, how, how, from a training point of view, um, how did you how you find working here? I mean, you've got your boss sat right next to you. <laughs> um, in terms of the training opportunities, things here, what's different about sort of tennis as, as a sport? So player? compared to working in a more sort of uh, you know team environment such as football or, or in rugby, where uh, obviously you have match day and obviously you have clinics in between where you're dealing with those injuries during during that's been picked up over the weekend or during training itself so as joe said much more acute uh, more sort of uh, you also have fractures which you wouldn't get so much of in tennis mm. Uh, and so here, especially because I deal here more with the national age group players, um, they also tend to have more overuse injuries as well. So more of your ten, you know, classical uh, tenosynovitis and you know, um, apophysitis. Uh, so those tend to be much more common muscle strains uh, rather than anything acute. And the other thing is that um, here is a lot more sort of um, clinical governance, I would say. It's been a large part of uh, my work here with uh, Joe is looking at standard operating procedures, um, doing recce's, um, and sort of being more involved in that side, which has been really interesting, because uh, you wouldn't normally get that sort of experience if you work with a, a local rugby team or football team. You wouldn't necessarily be involved in that sort of chief medical officer sort of uh, responsibilities and, and roles that it brings with it. So that's been a really useful experience. I think just to follow on from Wing's point as well, when we see the differences in sport, not only is it the individual athlete versus the team athlete, he brought up a crucial point there about the kickoff time. It's very hard for any player to actually predict when they're going to start their match unless it's their first on for the day. And even that with the beautiful rain delays that we get in um, Britain, it does make it challenging. So things like the recovery strategies, the travel strategies, because they travel all around the world, um, it does make it a bit more challenging because when I worked in rugby, we could go, right, there's a finite time of a kickoff and you could work back from that to make sure you're periodising and peaking for peak performance at that point. And again, you know, the players will leave the tournament as soon as they've lost a match. So the travel strategies for getting the best flight for them to adapt to the various time zones, it's just not that feasible, particularly in the when you're um, trying to climb up the ranking money is a, is a crucial factor and so those elements which would te technically have a greater impact on their health and well-being as well as minimizing their illness um, and injury risk actually are quite difficult to control because we don't have that luxury um, and so a lot of what we do is the clinical governance stuff but the education for the players on how to be sensible around these and trying to encourage true planning 
and um, particularly again for our national age group it's exam time right now and not try and spread themselves too thinly because clearly education is crucial and it's important from developing a well-rounded holistic person and not to let that kind of slip and slide away when you're trying to prioritise tennis which again this is a busy time it's a great platform for a lot of players to get exposure so it is challenging but it is very different kind of those demands compared to that of a team sport so I suppose one of the other things that I've noticed obviously the difference between team sport and individual is clearly that it's the individual that's battling away on that court and in the case of a grand slam you know sometimes they can be doing this up to five hours with or without rain delays and having to get up the next day and do exactly the same and so the turnaround for recovery the psychological recovery um, and also if you have lost a singles but you still got to play in doubles later that day how they kind of get over that hump to make sure they're ready to perform again so it is very much about giving the support for the individual but actually they've got to get on there and do it themselves so they just need to know they've got their team behind them but ultimately they need to have the skill set to battle on through and always do the right things to recover because the time frames are tight and the demands of sport at the top level are ridiculously high. You discussed some logistics involved at an individual level so mm. for the athletes themselves for some of these major tournaments we're right in the middle of grass um, what are the challenges to you as a chief medical officer? Um, so part of my role is to um, make sure the medical standards are met at all the different events. And I'm really fortunate, as I alluded to before, to have some great practitioners working with me who have been doing the job, most of them before I came into post. So their support and kind of delivery of services like second to none and I, I couldn't do it without them. But again, our grass court planning starts at the beginning of the year because it involves all the planning around equipment, staffing, doing your usual kind of DBS checks all the way to now when we're in the middle of it, um, being available and reactive to whatever the players need. So certainly there's that balance between having enough people here back at base so that if someone is injured or needs some kind of support, we've got a team here to help them with also then having a footfall at the tournaments as well because Clearly, you want to try and give the players a home advantage because most of the year they are travelling on their own or with a small team. And if we can make anything better for them, then we would want to do that, particularly with quick turnarounds on diagnosis of injuries and management. However, you also don't want to make it too different from what they're used to because the rest of the year they are used to travelling on their own. So if you do too many changes and variables, that can actually have a negative impact. So it's always balancing against what the individual needs and actually talking to the individual and not making a group decision on behalf of that individual um, and trying to be in as many places as possible. That said, because all the places are in the UK, my working time is actually probably, despite being long days, more contained to a normal working day because when um, half my players are in America, some of them are in Australia and some of them in Asia, um, my WhatsApp is going on throughout the whole 24-7 cycle. So actually, it's quite nice because most of my contact at the moment is in normal, normal inverted commas hours. <laughs> um, moving away from the injuries and the, kind of the musculoskeletal aspect of tennis now, um, and something I know you both are keen to talk about, which is the health benefits of tennis. Yes. For people who might not be familiar with these and haven't, just haven't come across them before, what are the headline things that you want people who listen to this to take home? Well, I'll leave Wing to do most of the talking because that was one of his projects. I wanted to make sure we tied in with his placement with public health. And I think that was one of the nice things about this project. But I 
do want to acknowledge, particularly with the ITF Medical Committee and also Babette, who has already put a lot of stuff out there, that actually it is it is a sport that you can pick up and it's for life, not like a lot of other sports. And the nice thing about it is it's modifiable. And so for me, as much as Wing will go through the health benefits at any stage in someone's life, whether they're coming back from being pregnant to actually coming back from an injury, as long as you've got the right knowledge base, you can modify it and it can be accessible at all times. Albeit I appreciate whether kind of access to courts can be a challenge, but one of the big things the LTA are trying to do right now is, is called Tennis Opened Up. And we're trying to make all of that much easier to help because there's clearly a plethora of benefits which we will go through now. But, um, yeah, it's a sport for life and it's a sport for everyone. So <laughs> go on if you want to go through. Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, Stefan, that uh, Babette Plume recently had a very uh, useful infographic uh, produced in the BJSM. So going along those lines, um, there are many reasons why you might want to take up tennis. Um it's obviously, a, as Joe mentioned, a sport that you can do and adapt uh, at any stage of your life. In terms of the physical benefits of uh, tennis, then uh, it improves your cardiovascular fitness. Uh, if you take it up from a young age, it also really improves your coordination and sort of your neurodevelopment. That obviously can continue as you grow older as well. Uh, it improves your lean body mass, improves your bone, bone mass density, uh, as well as improving your muscle strength uh, and your legs uh, in particular. And then moving aside from just the physical aspects, you've also got the psychosocial benefits as well. So you've got, uh, you know, you're, if you join a club, for example, you can be making lots of friends, meeting new people, working on your communication skills. And uh, also it's been proven to help you reduce your stress, improve your self-confidence and your esteem. So if you take that all together as a package, it's quite a compelling reason for you to consider taking up tennis, especially at this time of year when it's making a lot of the news. But on that note, tennis is throughout the whole yeah, the amount of my friends that ask me what I do the rest of the, <laughs> rest of the world, I'm just like, no, there is more to it than just Wimbledon. And that's a really big point. That's not just Wimbledon in the grass court. We've already had Surbiton, Nottingham. We've got Birmingham. We've got Eastbourne. We've got Queens all going on. Ilkley as well, all in that build-up. So there's lots of different tiers of um, tennis with really good level being played for people to get into it. They don't have to try and get tickets on the ballot for Wimbledon there are lots of um, times when you can get exposed to it and try and hopefully fall in love with the game albeit obviously Wimbledon to me is like the pinnacle but it is um, there's a lot going on around that and also there's hard court there's clay court you name it so I am busy throughout the, <laughs> the year even if my friends don't think I am. <laughs> um, for GPs or sports medicine doctors who might be listening who tomorrow morning might be seeing um, patients who are actually keen on and undertaking and giving tennis a crack. Yeah. What advice should they be giving their patients in terms of is there anything any specific warm ups, any considerations they need they need to but to be aware of, or is it just called common sense advice that you'd give? I mean it's a bit of a mixture of both. Obviously I don't want to make any barriers towards the sport by saying you should go in and join a coaching uh, like group but um there is an element of benefit for that because if you can pick up the right technique earlier on you're much more um well much less likely to get an injury equally they can help you with grip weight size of the racket string tension that said everything is about being fun um and 
making it enjoyable and certainly like any sport um, you don't just go straight into it you do do a warm-up and you do do a cool down and certainly the warm-up if you think about it is a whole body warm-up so activating the shoulder stabilizers whether that's just with a bit of mobility or the use of a TheraBand tied up to the net and don't forget like everyone always trains quite in a linear so forward direction movement but tennis is very lateral so I'd definitely be doing some activation of the gluteal muscles but in a sideline point of view but that can be done with a bit of light hitting a bit of movement um, but certainly what you want to do is make it enjoyable and fun and not have any too many barriers but while being sensible about minimizing the risk of injury but I think going down to your local club initially just to get some tips would be a good starting point and then that will mean that you can then access the courts that don't have that support once you've got that kind of foundation in place. Well I'm sure all the British listeners will join me in wishing you well over the next few weeks Thanks so much for joining us. And thanks for listening to this BGSM podcast. You will find some of the papers mentioned in the blurb below. And if you're looking to have a physically active day, you could do worse than pick up a tennis racket.